Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. I did want to first just welcome all of you who are listening live in uh, the local Northern California area, uh, and also those who are tuning in by way of podcast, especially in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, France, Portugal, Spain, Germany, Italy, Croatia. I see Cameroon and other African countries on the grid as well as China. It is great to have you. It is great to have you with me here in the friendly confines of Chico, California, uh, listening to our reflection into the book of Genesis as we lean into different commentaries, especially the St. Ignatius commentary and our own reflections, different books and, and reflections out from those books. My hope is that we are gaining a deeper understanding of just not how we are to better understand the book of Genesis within the larger context of the Bible, but also the many lessons within those verses that that really are intended to uh, speak to us. Now, that being said, before we get into uh, our principal subject matter, I did want to address a couple things. Uh, This Thursday, for Special Topic Thursday, as I am getting a number of questions on this topic of Lent, I'm going to take some time out to respond to those questions, uh, just not one, and for that matter, two, but probably three questions as they uh, relate to Lent. Also, I wanted to address a question that came from yesterday's program, and, and I'm not going to wait until Thursday, and it has us going back to that discussion about the narrative of salvation history. So yesterday evening, I had noted that as we start our treatment of Genesis chapter 12, we are in what is called the patriarchal period. Now, the patriarchal period is the second period of 12. Now, I gave you the 14 books to read. Uh, If you wanted to read the Bible in a kind of sequential narrative, there are 14 books, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Maccabees, and then Luke and Acts. Now, I had received the question, are there stages, are are there levels of uh, the narrative within those 14 books? And there are. And as I go through these here ever so briefly, uh, take note that if you really want to get into this, what you want to get your hands on is the Great Adventure series, The Bible Timeline, which is hosted by Jeff Cavins. Uh, So go online, just Google search, Bible Timeline, The Great Adventure Series with Jeff Cavins, and it'll come up, and I cannot encourage you enough to get your hands on that. I know a a great number of parishes do have their hands on this great resource to better understand the narrative of salvation history, uh, so please do so. In the meantime, as the question is posed, what are the stages, what are the levels, well, here you go. What we treated in Genesis chapters 1 to 11 that is titled History of the Early World. Okay, so your first period is History of the Early World. 
Your second period is what we are starting right now, the patriarchal period. Uh, the third period is Egypt. And, of course, there is the book of Exodus. The fourth period is the flight into the desert. The fifth period is uh, the conquest of Canaan. And there you'll find that, of course, in the book of Judges. The next period, uh, the sixth period, is the royal kingdom. And that's, of course, First and Second Samuel. The next period, the seventh period, is the divided kingdom. The period I think we have talked about um, off and on through the months and years, the divided kingdom, and you get into that in, in uh, First and Second Kings. And then the eighth period is the exile. So when the Israelites are exiled into Babylon and Assyria. The next period is the return, so the return to Jerusalem. The 10th period is the Maccabean Revolt. The 11th period, which has us in the New Testament, the Messianic Covenant. Okay, and of course, this is in the Gospel of Luke, and all Gospels record uh, the Messianic Covenant. But if we're going to stick with the narrative, if you will, you're going to find that in the Gospel of Luke. And of course, the last period, the age of the church, that is what is in the book of Acts. So you have the history of the early world, the patriarchal period, Egypt and Exodus, uh, the flight into the desert, the conquest of Canaan, the royal kingdom, the divided kingdom, the exile, the return, the Maccabean revolt, the Messianic covenant, and the church. So these are the ages of God's chosen people, and this is all very timely because as we get into the opening verses of chapter 12, certainly, as I promised yesterday, this evening we will be getting into that. Now, in principle, this evening, as we are going to get into that threefold covenant, I did want to talk about two things, that being the second. The first is really the larger vocation of Abraham as it comes to us in Genesis chapters 12 through 25. And I want to get into that this evening because as I was praying with it, I had come to appreciate that in that opening verse of chapter 12, you have an introduction into the greatness in that one verse of Abraham, right? And <laughs> how could there be so much in one verse? Well, stay tuned because this is what we're going to get into. All right, for the sake of having those verses fresh in our mind, let us go back into Genesis chapter 12 and go ahead and read verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curse you I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. All right. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Right? Go, I will show you. This great invitation to walk by faith and not by sight. I mean, my dear friends, what does it mean to uh, walk by faith and not by sight? I believe we can get at this by appreciating the more holistic story of Abraham and more specifically the going forth, if you will. And if we're going to do this, we have to get at the, the binding of Isaac. The story of the Akedah, which is the Hebrew for the binding of Isaac, really does get at the heart of 
what lies underneath of the going forth. The binding of Isaac really establishes how the whole narrative surrounding Abraham would seem to place God at odds with himself. Here you have Abraham, the bearer of the great promise that we just read, right? That he was to be the father of all nations. Years pass by, and at a very elderly age, his wife bears a son, Isaac, right? And of course, Isaac is everything to Abraham. Not only his beloved son, but the one from which his line will prevail, that he would indeed be the father to all nations, that the great promise we just read about can come to fruition, right? So we fast forward 12 years, and what does God ask Abraham to do? but to sacrifice his son as a holocaust to him. I mean, really imagine with me, if you will, what Abraham must have been thinking at that point. I mean, what father asks another father to kill his son? This is insanity. Absolute insanity, right? Insanum, without logic. Certainly Abraham would have the right to say, uh, God, what about your promise? Remember that promise you made to me, oh, 10, 12 years ago? Have you forgotten about that? Have you experienced some kind of short-term amnesia? So the question that begs to be asked here is, what is the hinge to this story? But obedience. Obey me. Remember, obedience comes from the Latin obadire, which means to listen and even more specifically there, to listen well, I mean, in a culture that seemingly raises up the rebel, the person who says no to the right things, the virtue of obedience is seen to be something totally, if not entirely, foreign. And quite frankly, weak, right? But there is something else going on here. There is something deeper here. Abraham is not obedient to a tyrant, right? But obedient to God who is love. Remember what we have already said about love, what we have said so often. Love, as Thomas Aquinas would speak to it, means to will the good of the other for the sake of other, without any expectation. Love is not, I'm going to do this for you, and in return, you're going to do this for me. That is not love, because built into the act is the expectation that you're going to do something for me. That's not love. God is to will the good of the other. This is the absolute essence of God. Willing our best interest. There is not an iota of self-interestedness in God. You see, my friends, Abraham is obedient to the one who only wants the best of the best for him. And his faithfulness is so great. Remember that the word faith in the Hebrew best translates as faithfulness, right? So it's just not this ascent of belief into some impersonal magnetic force. No, it's an ascent to the one who is the absolute essence of love. So it's just not about faith, but faithfulness. The Hebrew there is uh, emunah, right? Emunah, firm response, response of listening, That's really the best rendering of that Hebrew. That's why faithfulness and obedience are so tied to each other, linked to one another. Uh, Recall what Paul says in his epistle to Rome, 
chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 16, verse 26, where he speaks of the obedience of faith. When St. Paul is talking about the obedience of faith, he is talking about the obedience that is faith or the obedience that springs from faith. There, St. Paul is translating the Hebrew faithfulness. So Abraham's faithfulness, his obedient response, his response of listening is so great that in fear and trembling, he obeys even the most confounding of all requests to slaughter his own son. This, my friends, very much speaks to the greatness of Abraham. So one of the key aspects of prayer is fidelity to God. Fidelity to God. Fidelity is trust. Trust and more trust. It truly is an extraordinary thing as you probe deeper into the going forth of Abraham. That at the age of 75, Abraham is called by God to go in search of a place that he did not know. And God says to Abraham, you know nothing of the dangers you may face, the people you will encounter, the hardships you will have to endure, but go. This is extraordinary faithfulness. I mean, have we ever had that happen to us? Where God says to us, go, I I want you to go over here. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to tell you why. I'm not even going to tell you the people that you necessarily need to see. I'm not going to tell you about the hardships you're going to have to endure. I just want you to go, right? The great missionary word, go, which as it has been reminded by some evangelists is two-thirds of God's name, right? Go. (laughs) Now, what's more to the story of Abraham, and I believe this to be such an invaluable point, is that his whole life points forward. This kind of dynamic of walking from the present moment to the future, of walking along the path of what is and at the same time yet to come. You see, my friends, Abram brings blessings to all because his very existence is open to the what? Yet to come. We bind ourselves in the spiritual life because all we see is just the here and now without a deeper sense of that all-important virtue of prudence, that virtue which always has a, a, a sagaciousness or acute awareness of the importance of the decision you are making in the present moment. And it is that virtue, consequently, that at the same time points to the, to the forward, to the yet to come. Prudence is that virtue of forward thinking, I am going to make the the sound decision in the here and now so that I might be more open in the yet to come. So we have to be careful of becoming enslaved to our addictions, that we don't collapse into our ego and just think about self. Abraham is the contradiction to that, right? He says, no, my very existence is open to the yet to come. And this is the path we tread. And we do so in the light of what? The fear and trembling. That great passage that comes to us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. This is a passage, my friends, that passage where Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling that has been 
a very important passage to many of my conversations, and just not apologetic conversations, but just those conversations that, that are addressing on a deeper level the uh, spiritual life. Okay, all that being said, I know that's a lot to say to that opening verse, you know, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. But, my friends, how many times have we heard it? Go from what you are used to, from your family and to your home, to a place that I will show you. And we say no. This is why Abraham is so important. This is why he is so important. All right. What about the great covenant with Abraham? Well, here I want to turn our attention to Scott Hahn. Uh, if there is one thing that Scott Hahn has to contribute to the area of theology, it certainly is covenant theology. He explores in great detail this threefold covenant. And in the Ignatius commentary, he gives us a kind of a topical essay that I just want to um, read ever so briefly and then just kind of reflect with. And this is what he says. The story of Abraham begins with the voice of God calling him to a new land. Right? That's Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And then promising him extraordinary blessings for the future. Verses 2 to 3. This divine promise was threefold. First, to make Abraham a great nation. Second, to make his name great. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. And third, to make him an instrument of blessing for the entire world. For the entire world. So as Scott Hahn uh, continues, the first promise is closely connected with the gift of land which is a necessary foundation for building any nation. The second is closely connected with dynastic kingship, which involves the exaltation and propagation of a royal name. And the third is a promise of worldwide blessing mediated through his offspring. So as Scott Hong concludes, what you have here then within Genesis is that these three promises are eventually upgraded to the status of divine covenants. The first promise becoming a covenant in Genesis chapter 15, where God swears to rescue the family of Abraham from the oppression of a wicked nation and to give them a new homeland. The second promise becomes a covenant in Genesis chapter 17, where God institutes the rite of circumcision and swears to raise up a dynasty of kings out of Abraham's line. And the third promise becomes a covenant oath in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 to 18 where the Lord swears to multiply the offspring of Abraham and to use them in blessing all nations. So what are the three promises, just in review? The first is to become a great nation. And this is fulfilled in Genesis 15, and specifically the Mosaic Covenant. The second promise is that from Abraham's line, God will establish a great name. And that is identified in Genesis 17, and this fulfillment is seen in the great Davidic covenant. And then, of course, the third promise is in Genesis chapter 22. How does the third promise come to realization? But in the new covenant, as these universal blessings are poured out on the world by Jesus Christ, 
who is, as Acts chapter 3 reminds us, is the Messianic descendant of Abraham. And of course, these universal blessings have as their source and summit what but the Eucharist. When Jesus is in the upper room instituting the Eucharist as what but the new covenant, right? Never lose sight of that truth, my friends, that the Eucharist is the New Testament. The Eucharist is the New Testament. History uh, reveals to us that the Eucharist is the New Testament, which is a really interesting point because when you think about New Testament, what do you think about? But (laughs) the 27 corpus of books, right, that make up the New Testament. But we didn't have those books until the end of the fourth century, or at least at the Council of Hippo, they were ratified then. Those books were being read uh, during the Mass, during the liturgies for the first four centuries, but they weren't ratified as this canon, if you will, until the end of the fourth century. For the first 250 years, you have the phrase New Testament being used, and that was tied to what Jesus was talking about in the upper room. This is the blood of the New Covenant. This is the blood of the New Testament. I I, I can hear the question, Joe, but he said New Covenant. He didn't say New Testament. Well, my dear friends, the Latin word for diatheke, which gives us covenant, is what? But testamentum, right? Testamentum. So over time, covenant becomes testament. But as you kind of go back into the upper room, you can say, yeah, what he was saying as we understand it now This is the blood of the New Testament. We have to remember something else here as we're talking about this. Jesus never said, write this, per se. No, he said, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. He would later go on and tell the disciples, tell the apostles to go, baptize, and teach. But even then, he did not say, write. We don't get the first epistle, the actual first writing of the New Testament, until 52, 53 AD, with Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. So you have 20 years of a saving sacramental church, which had at its heart the Eucharist. That is, this great blessing that is a fulfillment to what happened in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So I know this is kind of the elongated response to what is going on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and how it was fulfilled. But my dear friends, necessary. Necessary as I can hear certain questions being asked. And I say that because I have received those questions before. All right, so just by way of review, what have we talked about this evening? Well, I kind of gave you the the stages and the levels of, of salvation history, and then we kind of took a stab at better understanding these first three verses by exploring Abraham's great response and what he was up against, the importance of remembering the human dimension of these great patriarchs, that we might be able to identify with them and then in turn learn from them. Okay, so important. And then, of course, as we just hit it, a theological exploration with Scott Hahn to gain a deeper understanding of what is going on in these three verses. Okay, this is important because, as you can already sense, as we spoke to Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, and Genesis chapter 22, 
these are going to be explored further to really get at how God is uh, fulfilling his great promise, just not in Jesus Christ, of course, but along the way. All right, so with that, if you have any questions, uh, comments, observations, as always, please do not hesitate to email me. As I noted from the outset, here in a couple days, I'm going to respond to your questions about Lent, and I don't have the exact questions before me, but certainly they have been coming in, and so I'm going to respond to those. So if you have a question about Lent, this would be the time to ask. Go to my email at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or again, you can go to my website at joholcraft.org and just hit the contact link button there. Um, And also tomorrow, just by way of preview, Father Mike and I have watched uh, the movie The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and so we're going to take up the themes from that movie. So if you have not watched The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and you have some extra time between now and tomorrow evening, please do watch it and give it some careful thought and, and see if, if our thoughts don't match up. All right? Okay. With that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just continue to give you thanks and praise for uh, the gift to be able to reflect into the richness of your word. I know we talked about a lot this evening. Um, just help us by your grace to internalize these words insofar as uh, those words might be inspired by you. And God, all things be praised. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.